Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hey everyone, welcome into the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We're going to talk about plenty of Arizona Fall League today on the podcast, as well as looking ahead to Friday's deadline for adding players to 40-man rosters with the Rule 5 draft, of course, coming up soon. We'll also look ahead to 2017. Who could be the leaders as far as the Rookie of the Year race goes? First off, though, guys, it's great to be back on the podcast. It's been over a month, I think. Uh, there was this thing in October, the postseason, the World Series, uh, and I was away, but I hear you guys did a tremendous job without me. Yeah, who is this? Who is this? I don't even know who we're talking to right now. It's yeah. whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll move right on. Uh, we're going to start <laughs> things off. Uh, Jim, you've got a chance to catch up with Zach Vinci down in the Arizona Fall League. Reds minor leaguer, uh, not in their top 30, not one of their top 30-type prospect guys, but he's having a great fall in the AFL. So let's start with your discussion with Zach Vinci. This is Jim Callis with MLBPipeline.com. I'm with Zach Vinci, Cincinnati Reds shortstop, who's in the Arizona Fall League with the Peoria Javelinas. Zach, coming into the, the Fall League season, what were your goals? What, what are you down here to work on specifically? Um, for me is just to come out and just, um, you know, get better every single day. And I think, uh, just being disciplined at the plate, picking out good pitches to hit and still having that aggressive mentality. And, uh, you know, it's been great so far, you know, I've gotten a lot of help from, uh, you know, different coaches and stuff, which is great about this league. You get different perspectives and, uh, it's been great. I mean, just trying to go out and compete every day. Statistically speaking, you're having as good a season as just about anybody in the fall league. And I think coming in, you were probably more known for your defense. But with two days to go in the regular season, you're in the running for the batting title. You're actually in the running for the triple crown. I think you're one homer back and maybe a couple RBIs back. Has your offensive performance surprised even you at all? And what's clicked for you down here offensively? I don't think it really surprised me. I knew I had it in me. Um, I just had to put it all together, you know, mentally, um, physically, just make sure I've had the ma- the same mentality every single day. And, um, you know, I think for me is just having that, that aggressive mentality up there and just having confidence every single day. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate to be, to be here and playing with all these great players and stuff. And, and half the battle is just having confidence every day. And I think that's helped me along the way. Does the the batting title sit there in the back of your mind or, or the home run champ? I mean, are you keep a track of that every day? At the end of the day, do you see what you're hitting, what Glaber Torres is hitting? Are you aware of what's going on with that? Not really, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I didn't even know I was, you know, in the running for that until, you know, the last couple of days. Um, 
But I try not to think about that too much. I just try to go go out there, put together some quality ABs, and you know try to try to finish strong. You know, it's been a long season, and I think we're all tired. But um, you know, I try to come out and, and take some pride in this and, and finish up strong. So I, that's what I've been trying to do. It seems like you've gotten you know your performance has gotten better as the year has gone on. You know, your first couple full seasons of pro ball. You know, okay with the bat, nothing special, kind of a slow start this year. And then you really came on the second half and you came on out here. Were, were there adjustments you made? What do you, what do you attribute that resurgence to? Yeah, uh, I mean, this is a game of adjustments. So you're trying to come out and, and, and make the proper, proper uh, you know, adjustments to, to keep moving up. And I think, uh, you know, players start moving up and they eventually get to the big leagues from making adjustments because of each level. You know, each level gets a little bit harder, a little bit faster. So, you know, for me, it, it was realizing my weaknesses and trying to hone in on those and, you know, continue to get better every single day. You won the Rawlings Gold Glove this year for the entire minor leagues at shortstop. What kind of honor was that? Did you even realize they had a minor league gold glove before you won it? And, and how did you find out about that? Yeah, I didn't even know about it. You know, uh, I just thought it was, you know, for the big leagues. But um you know, it was it was great. My field coordinator called me randomly after the after the season and told me the good news. And it was a, a tremendous honor, you know, and and, uh, you know, I, I got to attribute a lot a lot of that to my teammates and my coach and my coaching staff. And, you know, Cincinnati, they've really helped me along the way. You know, I couldn't be more fortunate to be in the position that I'm at. And, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. You've played well defensively out here as well. I did the TV game Saturday on MLB Network. You made some nice defensive plays there. As a shortstop, do you think offense first, defense first? How do you evaluate yourself as a player? Do you think you're, you look at yourself as more of a defender than a hitter? Or, or how do you see that? Well, at the end of the day, I'm trying to, you know, bring the whole package out there. You know, you know I think I can attribute a lot to, um, you know, hitting as well. I can contribute a lot. Um, so, I mean – I'd need to have confidence on both sides of the field if I want to, you know, be the best player that I could possibly be. And um, and it comes from my belief system. I believe in myself, and and that's the biggest key is having confidence in myself, working hard every single day, and and wherever the chips land, they'll land. So that's where I, you know, I go a part a part of it. Thanks a lot, Vince. This has been Jim Callis with I called you Vince Zach Zach Vinci. Thank thanks Zach, and a good luck down the stretch. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, great stuff, Jim, and great job with the name at the end there. Um, every time I see Zach Vincey's name, I want to call him Vince J. So, I, well, I, I could pronounce it okay. I just I started to call him Vince at the end, and then we both kind of laughed about it because uh, <laughs> I I realized what I was doing. I, was, I guess I was trying to call him Vince Zaxi or something, but uh, he he's been very impressive down here. Yeah, great stuff. And for the 25-year-old, a little older, but but doing a tremendous job. The average uh, as of right now, I think 379. Great OBP as well. Um, let's talk about some other guys that are having a great fall, and nobody's been better than Glaber Torres, uh, Player of the Week last week, but really I think it was the second time he's won that award, but he could have almost been Player of the Week almost every week. Uh, last week he hit 600 with a double, a triple, three RBIs, uh, but for the fall as of last time I checked, which was this morning, Hitting over 400, 403 with a 513 on base percentage and slugging 645. Just 19 years old. Obviously, the Yankees got him in the Aroldis Chapman trade. Jonathan, what stands out the most to you with Glaber Torres getting this done in the AFL at such a young age? I mean, I think the 
the end of that question says it all because you know i mean jim and i have both been conditioned to always add some sort of caveat about sample size and grains of salt in terms of offensive performance in the fall league Uh, but i think the fact that we're looking at at a young man who is still a teenager and doing what he has done again looking at those those stats uh, heading into the last day of the regular season, the fall league, you know, not only are the numbers are good, 14 walks and eight strikeouts um, against a really high level of competition. And, and, and just the way he carries himself, uh, he, he acts, plays, and looks like he belongs without it being you know, overly cocky, uh, the purists are, are not going to be you know, upset that he showboats too much, but there's uh, a clear passion for the game there. You know, he's also playing second base, you know, really for the first time um, and, and playing it pretty well. Uh, so it's just, he has been absolutely impressive from start to finish in, in all facets of the game. And again, like I said, uh, particularly in, how he has carried himself uh, throughout the fall league season. Jim, hey, guy, I don't think there's any, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say, Jim, uh, when a guy has a fall league like this, does it allow the, well, his new team now to kind of hit the accelerator on uh, how quickly they may think about moving him, but take that wherever you want. Yeah, no, I mean, to say, I was going to just say, I don't think there's any question he's been the best prospect in the league here. Um, you know, the same thing Jonathan said about the caveat, but even if you didn't know what the numbers were, and, and he will wind up hitting over 400 because he's not in the lineup on the final day of the season, not scheduled to play. If you just watched him, you know, basically in just about any game, I mean, you can see the swing. I mean, he's hitting hard line drives everywhere. He, he looks very good at both second and short. But, yeah, I, I think they will probably accelerate him. Um, and I don't think you would have sent him here if you weren't hoping to do that. You know, he hadn't played above high class A. He's – one of the he he might be the youngest player in the league. I haven't scanned all the rosters to double check that. Um, but if you told me, I mean, I, I, he's definitely going to start next year in Double A. But I, I could see him in you know if he keeps hitting like this. And the fact is, you was covering him as a prospect when he's come through the Cubs system. The, the the scouting reports you hear in this guy they get better every year. It's not like he he gets to a higher level and he levels off or he kind of hits a plateau. I mean, this was a guy who. You know, you, you thought it would hit, and you wondered, oh, maybe it's it's 15 home run power early on. Now it's you know going to be more than that. Uh, you know, it's probably 20 or so. You know, the question was, could he stay at shortstop? I think the answer is yes. We'll we'll see where the Yankees play him because they have middle infielders. But he keeps getting better and better, and I, I could see him in AAA by the end of the season. If you told me he was in the big leagues next year, like let's say the Yankees had a need for him, uh, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. He's he's so good. He's the hitter of the week for last week. Uh, the pitcher of the week was Austin Voth, Nationals' number nine prospect. He threw five out, shutout innings last week to help him get this award. Now, he's a guy who had struggled a little bit, I think, earlier on in the fall. Is that a good sign? Teams like to see that, especially for a pitcher who's already thrown a lot of innings, of, obviously, over the course of a year. But to maybe stumble a little bit early in the fall and then things kind of click, he figures some things out, Jonathan? Yeah, I think without question. You know, he he was one of those guys that I boy, why why was he there? Mostly just because he's you know Triple A through 157 innings during the regular season, and it's not like he just he wasn't working out of the bullpen to see what that looked like. I mean, he he tacked on almost another 30 innings, um, but 
uh, his last three starts uh, were all of these shutout variety, five shutout innings. Uh, each of his last three, so his November just was lights out. Uh, and I think even if it were just one good start at the end to end things on a good note, but just to see that he had that left in the tank, that he could make adjustments uh, after getting knocked around, uh, you know, in three of his first four uh, outings uh, is a very, very good sign, uh, you know, for the Nationals. Jim, will he be up in D.C. at some point next season, you think? Well, they've got a deep rotation. I mean, Ronaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito have had trouble cracking it. So I think that's kind of the, the biggest obstacle for him isn't so much talent but opportunity. And you know, I actually talked to him a little bit um, after the, the second of those scoreless starts because I was doing the story on the uh, experimental baseball they used in a couple games, and he pitched one of them. And uh, we won't necessarily get into that here, but it's up on MLBPipeline.com. Someone else check that out. And he was saying from the, the early part of the season – he was struggling with fastball command, and that was why, you know, and, and he's not a guy as, as Jonathan is, too. I mean, he always has put up big strikeout numbers, even going back to college, but he's not like a guy who lights up the radar gun, um, and he just did not have fastball command early, and he made some adjustments. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not really unexpected either because, you know, these guys who come down here, you know, they've generally had, you know, four, six weeks off since the end of the minor league regular season. And then you got to get back into pitching gear again, and he just was not at his best early. But, yeah, he, he should be really enthused. The Nationals should be enthused by the way he's finished it. All right. Well, we're recording this on Thursday. On Friday is the deadline for teams to kind of fill out their 40-man rosters. That heads into the winter meetings in early December, and the last day of the winter meetings is the Rule 5 draft. And if certain players aren't protected and as being on the 40-man rosters, they obviously become available to be plucked away by other teams. And, Jonathan, you have a story on Pipeline.com about this right now. Uh, and I guess 12 players currently in the top 100 prospects uh, not currently protected. You expect all of those guys to find their way onto 40-man rosters in the next 24 hours? Yes. <laughs> next question. No, uh, uh, yeah, I think so. A year ago there were, there were 11 top 100 guys. They were all protected. I mean, these are all guys who – uh, you know, they're in the top 100 for a reason. You know, I think the only way you would possibly, you know, say no is if it was a guy who was really far away and was in the top 100, you know, maybe an international signee who had taken a while to get going. Um, but, he, you know, but even that, if it's a really talented player, you're not going to take the risk. And, and you know, most of these guys are, are upper-level guys or are going to be hitting the upper levels in, in 2017. Uh, so, yeah, I expect all of them to. Now, you know, there is some trickle down. You know, the Brewers have three guys you know, of that top 100 who, who need to be protected, Lewis Brinson, uh, Josh Hader, and Brett Phillips. Uh, teams like that, the Phillies also, I think, you know, the teams that have accrued a ton of talent in trades, so their systems are a lot deeper, are the ones that are going to have – more difficult decisions to make. You know, the Phillies, I think, have 13 of their top 30 on that must be protected or you know, risk losing them in the Rule 5 draft. They're not going to protect all 13. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they get rated a little bit come Rule 5 draft time. Yeah, and they actually, I know, released Matt Harrison just this week to open up one more spot. I think they have eight open spots on their 40-man uh, heading into 
to the chance to, to protect, I guess, eight more of those 13 guys. Because of this and, and this deadline, uh, Jim, does that mean the teams don't really start really looking into who they might go after in a Rule 5 draft situation until after the 40-man deadline? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, I think that you, you can generate a list of candidates using the internal system teams have access to, and you can look at it. Um, and I think, hold on, I'm getting excited here. We're having a, a Solar Sox rally here in the bottom of the six. They've now scored four runs, and crack of the bat out of Avila Jimenez doubling there distracted me. But, uh, I mean, you could do a little groundwork, or there may be guys that you're hoping are available. But, yeah, I mean, you don't seriously start breaking it all down until you know exactly who's who's going to be there. And like Jonathan said, I mean, you can make educated guesses. You know, the top 100 guys, yeah, they're going to be protected. Um, but, you know, like with the Phillies, I mean, who are going to be a prime target for, for teams in the Rule 5 draft because of what Jonathan just laid out, you don't really know, okay, which of these guys are they going to protect or not protect. Um, and, and so teams will go from there. And the Phillies were a team that was on the other side of things a year ago and actually grabbed a couple players in the Rule 5 draft. Now it's their turn to play defense a little bit. All right, the final topic I wanted to cover with you guys is the look ahead to 2017 and possible Rookie of the Year candidates. Uh, we just saw the Rookie of the Year announced this week, Michael Fulmer in the American League, Corey Seager in the National League. Fulmer beating out uh, two months of Gary Sanchez, basically, um, who was so good late in the year for the Yankees. Seager was your typical um, start-to-finish leader, no-brainer in the National League. Uh, so when you look ahead to next year, there's some guys that jump out as, as obvious candidates, and Jonathan's got an article up where he covers most of these guys. But I wanted to maybe get each of you guys to, I don't want to say take a pick at who's going to do it, but maybe just your leader in November for the 2017 Rookie of the Year. And I know in the American League, Jonathan, you have you know Benintendi and Mankata, of course, of the Red Sox, Carson Fulmer with the White Sox, Aaron Judge with the Yankees, Bradley Zimmer with the Indians. Of that mixture of guys, who really stands out to you as, as the guy that's maybe in the best position when you take into account all the factors that go into a Rookie of the Year? Well, you know, I should start up by saying that, you know, last year when I did this, uh, Michael Fulmer wasn't, you know, mentioned. But Corey Seager uh, in, probably in the, was. Corey Seager was the sort of the front runner, yes. I, I had uh, three, three, I think, of ten total in the National League, and I had Trey Turner, and, who finished second, and then Stephen Matz, who at least got, uh, got one, uh, a vote in, in the voting. And I actually I, I was lucky enough to – vote in the National League Rookie of the Year, so it was the easiest one to to start my BBWA voting record with. But um, to me, Benintendi is the guy who, uh, sorry, Jim, because uh, I know he would pick Benintendi if given the choice, really, to answer any I question. I still will. I still will. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, we, we will be in agreement, which makes for outstanding programming. Um, you know, I think he's the guy, the combination of what he showed he can do at the highest level already. Um, the only reason he's even on this list is because of that knee injury that knocked him out for a while. Uh, and the fact that he's got, he's going to have an opportunity. Uh, he's going to play. Um, you know, the thing that holds me back a little bit on Moncada, other than him being a little, you know, untested still, is that there's no total apparent place that he's going to definitely play. So I, I think for Ben and Tenney that, you know, the combination of, his readiness and and an everyday job, uh, you know, just points uh, in a similar direction to 
to Seeger a year ago. Jim, uh, we know you love Benintendi, so rather than have you also talk about Benintendi, how about a pitcher in the AL? Is Fulmer the clear-cut leader as far as that goes? Because we saw Mike... Nah, I, I, I don't think so, because no. Fulmer was, was so rushed to the big leagues last year and struggled so much. I don't think... I, I would not bank on Carson Fulmer having a big rookie year for the White Sox. And I like Carson Fulmer, but I just don't think... I mean, the White Sox, I, I, didn't, I don't understand why when you're not contending you would call the guy to the big leagues and change him from a starter to a reliever and then send him back down, and he had command issues. I like him as a long-term prospect. I don't like him as a, a prime rookie-of-the-year candidate in the American League. I, I don't know if there is a clear, obvious pitcher in the American League. You know, we've, we've talked in the past about how if you look at the top 100 list, what, like 22 of the top 25 guys on that list are hitters. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's a, I, I don't think there's, I mean, he, well, you know what, I'll tell you who I'd go with uh, as the pitcher would be Brent Honeywell. You know, we'll tie it back to the fall league a little bit. Um, but, you know, that would come down to opportunity for him too. You know, if the Rays don't make a trade and open up a rotation spot, maybe not. But, but Brent Honeywell has been one of the best pitchers down here. He's pitched where everywhere, pitched well everywhere he's been in the minors, including double A and high class A this year. So if I'm picking a pitcher, I'll go off the board, and I'll go Brent Honeywell if I have to take a pitcher in the American League. Shattering my hopes of back-to-back Fulmers as rookie of the year winners. All right, <laughs> on to yeah. the National League, and there's more. Because you know if I don't pick the guy, he can't win the award. So your, your <laughs> right. hopes are definitely shattered. Uh, there's more pitching options, I think, in the National League as far as clear-cut guys who are going to have an opportunity as well. Um, Jonathan, you have Giolito and Tyler Glasnow and Alex Reyes on your short list here. And then there's, of course, the up-the-middle tandem in Atlanta. Who has the best shot out of that group? To me, it seems like Swanson's in a great spot because people know that name already so successfully uh, for the way he started, uh, and he's gonna, he has that job ready to go. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I would say Swanson is the front-runner, uh, at least of this group. There were a lot of National League candidates. Uh, you know, I didn't even – I put Ozzy Albies in there. Um, you know, you've got Hunter Renfro and, and Manny Margo in San Diego. You can make a case, especially in terms of that whole opportunity thing and, and, and a job, that maybe uh, that would make more sense. But to me, you know, Swanson kind of, that was a curiosity when he, when he was brought up. Um, wasn't necessarily rushed in the same way that Carson Fulmer was, but it was another one of those, why'd they do that? Now, you know, they're trying to build some energy and excitement around the team. And I think we all agree that he would at least, you know, stay afloat, hold his own. Uh, but he, he performed well. He hit well, you know, extra base pop, uh, showed what he can do at shortstop. Uh, you know, and I, so I think he's going to use that as his foundation. He, he finished just one at-bat shy of the cutoff. Uh, so, again, another guy who just barely uh, is rookie eligible, that he is. Uh, and I think – that he's just going to take what he did last year and use that and hit the ground running at the start of 2017. Jim, I assume that you agree. I do. I would go with Swanson. I think it's also easier, you know, Michael Fulmer aside, to pick the hitter because, one, I think it's easier sometimes to, to find a spot in a lineup than it is to, to get a long leash in the rotation. But if, uh, if, I, if I had to go with a pitcher in the National League of uh, the guys, uh, and there, there's some interesting ones, I'd probably go with Alex Reyes. Um, you know, we, we talked about both earlier. 
in the broadcast, and he's not a top, top prospect. But, you know, that Nationals rotation is crowded, and, and, you know, they never really gave Giolito more than one start in a row to prove what he could do this year. So I'm not so sure that Giolito is going to, you know, have a great opportunity at the beginning of the season. Really like Tyler Glass now, but, you know, as we always seem to talk about when we talk about Tyler Glass now, you talk about how great this stuff is and it misses bats, and you talk about how sometimes he doesn't command said stuff. And so, you know, I could see him maybe having a – a little bit of a, a rougher adjustment to, to the big leagues, getting acclimated than, uh, than, than Reyes would. But I think Reyes is going to have the opportunity. And while his command still needs some fine-tuning, I mean, you could really he, – he looked good, very good at times in September. So, uh, yeah, I will, I will second to the, the, the Swanson pick. But if we're looking for a rookie pitcher in the National League, I would take Alex Reyes out of a very strong field. All right, great stuff. We'll take a look back on these uh, these picks early in the season, maybe, and get some official uh, picks from you guys in, in February or March. All right, well, it was great to be back on the Pipeline podcast. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition for Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.